0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: When's the last time you had fun at work? You might have to think about this one. So here's some thinking music. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong and on This Working Life, fun. What is it and how can it help us enjoy work more, which of course will help us work better? I conflated with play, and in
2: play you're in flow, it's joyful, you're creative, it's a safe space, you're working with others, creating things, and ideas come to fruition.
0: Fun means finding joy in work. It can happen through playing, it can happen through laughter.
1: How can we bring more fun into our working lives? We would do three minutes at three. Are you the one bringing the fun to work? Or are you the one feeling awkward when others are having fun? Catherine Price is a science journalist and author of The Power of Fun. She also wrote How to Break Up with Your Phone. Tell me about your relationship with fun.
3: My relationship with fun is a good one right now. I don't think it always was, but these days I do my absolute best to prioritize creating fun for myself and also creating opportunities to experience fun with other people because I found it to be absolutely essential for health and happiness. You said that
1: you didn't always have such a good relationship with fun. What happened in the
3: old days? I think like many people I just had never really thought about fun. I used the word fun casually in my everyday speech, but it was really to describe everything from experiences that really truly were fun to things that were just mildly pleasant or even sometimes things that weren't even that pleasant. You know, you can say, "Oh, that was so fun we should do that again soon" in response to a dinner party or a coffee date that actually wasn't fun that you prefer never to do again. It's just kind of our default. Um, word that we throw into conversation very often. One afternoon when I was sitting on my couch and actually the room I'm speaking to you from, and I had this entire hour in front of me where I could do whatever I wanted to because my husband was out and my daughter was napping. I wasn't on my phone. I should have been so happy. It should have been this glorious opportunity. But instead, I freaked out because I realized I'd just gotten so used to allowing my phone and whatever was on its screen to fill my time that I didn't know how I wanted to fill my own time. So that started this long kind of adventure into trying to figure out what I actually wanted to pay attention to. And long story short, I decided to focus on prioritizing fun. And you found that fun is not as studied or as researched as, say,
1: something like happiness or joy or even referred to in uh, psychology textbooks.
3: Why do you think that is? Well, it was certainly fascinating to realize there's very little research on fun. So I actually thought that I must be missing something. You know, I started wondering if there was this whole body of research that I wasn't able to find. It actually freaked me out a bit because when I did a search early in my research on fun in the American Database for Biomedical Literature, PubMed, one of the top hits was this article, (laughs) the title of which was um, Putting the Fun in Fungi. And it was about toenail fungus. And I just started laughing, and I, I thought, well, that's not the fun I'm talking about, but seriously, that's one of the top hits on PubMed for fun. I eventually did realize, truly, there's not very much research on fun per se. Lots of research on happiness, not on fun. And I think that's for at least two reasons. One is that we haven't thought about fun very seriously, again, because we just we use that word so casually, and we we don't take fun seriously as a concept. We just think it's frivolous, so it's kind of like, why would you even bother researching it? And how would you research it? Because we don't have a definition.
1: Catherine, you then made up your own definition, which I absolutely love. How did you go about doing that?
3: Right. So when I looked up fun in the dictionary, the definition there normally reads something like fun is lighthearted pleasure or amusement, something for kids to have. Which I think is true, but it doesn't actually capture the full depth of fun. And I discovered that because I decided to conduct my own research and send out a survey to my mailing list to see if anyone wanted to join what I called the fun squad. And I should note that this was during the first summer of the pandemic. So things were still very much locked down. So it was especially interesting to see what people responded. And I asked people in the survey if they would share with me three experiences from their lives that they would describe as having been, and this was my scientific terminology from that stage of my research, as having been so fun with the so capitalized. After they had shared those anecdotes with me, several pages later in the survey, I proposed my definition because I didn't want to bias them to begin with. And I asked if they thought it would be who would accurately and adequately capture what they had just told me. And the vast majority of people said, yes, it would. So the proposed definition that I came up with is that when we have fun or what I consider to be true fun, for reasons I can explain, it's the confluence of three separate psychological states. And those states are playfulness, connection, and flow. And I like to clarify what those mean, because playfulness in particular tends to freak out adults, because we take ourselves way too seriously. And we think it means having to wear silly hats and play like children's birthday games. That is not what it means. I don't want to do that either. (laughs) It means not taking ourselves too seriously and having more of a lighthearted attitude where you let go of perfectionism. You do things just for the sake of doing them, and you don't care too much about the outcome. So when we have that spirit of playfulness, our guard is down. And then connection refers to the feeling of having a special shared experience. And I do think that it's possible sometimes and for some people to have fun alone. But in most of the stories that people shared with me, there was another person involved. And then flow is the psychological state we get into when we're so engrossed in our activity at hand that we lose track of time. So the quintessential examples are an athlete playing a game or someone playing a piece of music. But it even can be a situation like this where we're in a conversation and, you know, I'm not paying attention to anything else. I'm totally in the moment with you. I'm in flow. It's very different from passive consumption, which is an important distinction because you can also lose track of time if you're sitting on the couch scrolling through social media or watching TV for the seventh hour in a row. But that's what the man who coined the term flow would refer to as junk flow. And it's not the same. That's much more like hypnosis rather than real flow. So all three of those states, playfulness, connection, and flow are great when they happen on their own, but when all three happen at once and you get the center of that Venn diagram, that's what I consider to be true fun. And that's what I ran by these participants to say, did that capture, does that definition capture the three or four stories you just told me? And they said, yes. Can you give us some examples of true fun? That was another thing that was very interesting was that the stories people shared with me were you know, obviously all different. They were from people all around the world. I've got thousands of these stories at this point. One person described how much fun she'd had recently. We had the weekly dance class she used to go to in a church basement where this woman I think was in her early 40s, but the other people were much older than she was and they would just dance around this basement like doing silly things like pretending that they were bunny rabbits or like, <laughs> I don't know, there was something involving feathers. But there were other things that were just, you know, very mundane, like memories of one person where she said that she and her mother had decorated her room as a pink Parisian oasis and had a tea party and spent the night talking in funny accents. Or there was another one that was one of my favorites because it just felt very poignant to me of someone who said that one of their most fun memories involved nothing more than going outside in the rain with their grandfather um and without umbrellas and just allowing themselves to deliberately get soaked. They really proved um, that fun does not need to be expensive and it does not require going to an exotic foreign location or even, you know, leaving your house in some cases. Those are some misperceptions I think we have about fun, that it's only for the privileged, it's only if you have free time, it's only if you have money. But in fact, it's way more accessible to us than we
0: realize. We are irrational being. we are emotional being. And sometimes they do things that make no sense. I know a lot of leaders who have idea that fun is frivolous, that fun is something that people do when they don't work. Aneta Pizag has a background in architecture
1: and now works with organisations on their physical environments and work practices.
0: She rates fun at work as crucial. It's, it's essentially work design. It's about creating a vision for how they can do their best work, how people need to think, feel, and behave to perform to their best. Office spaces that look a little bit like theme park and those office spaces receive a lot of criticism. Why are we creating workplaces that look like they are designed for children? There is a very clever intention behind the design and it's to create an environment where people feel safe and invited and encouraged to let their inner child participate in the process of creation. But Annette
1: says we need to be careful that one person's work fun is in another person's work hell.
0: Ping pong table and beanbags, you know, those stereotypical symbols, they are very often used as tokens when they are not integrated into the culture of the organisation and there is not a broader ecosystem that encourages playing I'm talking about workplace culture, I'm talking about relationships, leadership values, and also about the way people are encouraged to work. There is no point in an office to have a ping pong table if it's positioned in a way that it's right next to the people who are trying to concentrate, and they are driven mad by the constant sound of the ball. And I've actually talked to people who said that ping pong table is their biggest pet hate. I also talked to people who said that when they are playing ping pong with their colleagues, these are the moments when they feel a genuine connection with each other, when their relationship moves from being purely professional to more personal, and that's when they feel that they are part of an organisation where they belong. All right, Catherine, fun at work
3: discuss. I think one of the beautiful things about thinking about fun as playful, connected flow is that you can have, as I was mentioning, these micro moments sprinkled throughout your day. So having a little conversation with a colleague where you both share a laugh, Um, or if you're actually working on a project and you realize that you're truly enjoying yourself, you're actively engaged, you're connected with both the work and your colleagues, you're enjoying it, there's laughter happening, that's fun. I mean, to give you a sense of how seemingly unpleasant the context can be, and you can still have fun, I once had fun when I was going to the doctor to get a cortisone injection in my shoulder, but it was because I was joking around with a guy who was giving you know searching for the right spot in my shoulder kind of as a coping mechanism, and there's also ways to have fun if you actually put the effort into creating things to do with your colleagues that are not necessarily fun, and I'm not talking about traditional happy hours. Because yes, alcohol will loosen people up, but not everyone wants to drink. I've started doing a thing where I find easy things to organize and I just throw out an invitation to people and see who shows up. For example, telling people I was gonna be at an ice skating rink last February, come by at four o'clock on Friday. And people showed up and they had fun. And it was so all they needed to do was, you know, rent a hut online and like send out an email. Or I organized a circus arts class, similar thing, where I just threw out an email. And people showed up and had a good time. My point being, there does need to be someone for those activities who has the initiative to suggest something. But it's actually not that hard. And anyone who shows up to those things is going to be a self-selected person with whom you're likely to have fun. So I think that's a great way to get to know your colleagues. And also having any kind of thing that repeats, like any kind of ritual that repeats
1: Should we be explicitly building in fun into our
3: work and workplaces, Catherine? We should be building fun into our workplaces. The trick, of course, is that if your employer is like, now we will have fun, it's not very fun. I think there are some ways to come at it a little bit sideways, though. You know, First of all, just recognize the fun you're already having, even if it's in little moments. Recognize the colleagues that you actually enjoy spending time with and try to prioritize that. I think of them as fun magnets. Fun magnets is my term for people or activities or settings that tend to generate the feeling of fun for you. I'd also say if you're a leader in a company, you don't need to have a top-down approach of saying, you know, finger wagging, you will have fun. But you can support your employees in their own efforts to have fun. I recently gave a keynote at this company here in the States where they devoted a quite a large budget where they had CEOs of things like coffee and that really added to the culture of fun at the company and it did so by creating a sense of community which i think is something that's hugely lacking in all of our lives in the or many of our lives in the workplace and beyond so i think incorporating fun into our work can have the added benefit of really creating a community in which people who work at the company feel seen and feel cared for and actually care for each other. And that's what creates happiness and retention at work. Once you start, it can seem really daunting at first, but once you get yourself into this more playful mindset, then ideas may start to come and it doesn't need to take much because I think what they were very good at, what I'd recommend people think of in terms of creating fun at the office is Maybe don't think about fun per se, because that's too much pressure, but think about what could you do to incorporate more opportunities for playfulness, connection, and flow? You know, how can you help employees be less distracted and yourself be less distracted so you can experience flow better? Is there some, even things like figuring out ways to help people manage their email inbox can, bizarrely enough, lead to more enjoyment and fun at the workplace. How can you help people connect? And then how can you incorporate little elements of playfulness?
2: Fun can be infectious and it will get people to have conversations that are in a safer place when people are laughing or giggling. People are going to be more themselves.
1: Julie Trell takes having fun at work very seriously. She works with organizations to foster more fun amongst staff.
2: Well, with my team that was working with the startups, we would do three minutes at three. And at three o'clock, everyone did a three-minute kind of activity We rotated who would lead something, whether it was three-minute dance party, three minutes of an improv game. Zen poetry was one of my favorites and always elicited giggles, even if people that were really frustrated and having a hard day. And we would do this three minutes at three and it would release their anxiety, their tension and feel better. Yes, it might have been a little bit harder to get them to play and have fun, but once they did it, it was joyful. It helped them for the rest of their day. There's oftentimes people that are not going to readily jump in to have fun or play, but I have seen majority of the time, once you get in there and you create the safe space and other people are having fun, it becomes infectious. I was head of Miru D, which was Telstra's startup accelerator. In this accelerator, I always brought in improvisers and we did a lot of improv games. And many of the founders are still going on and playing and improvising and using that as a tool to think on their feet. Be prepared for the unexpected, i.e. you're in an elevator with a VC. Um, Learning how to shrug off when things go wrong. So I'm working with an ed tech startup in digital and working with teachers. I work with the team at the startup and we'll do
1: um, improv games with with the team. We make up poems. Catherine, can you have fun with colleagues that you don't connect
3: well with? I think that depends on the colleague. I think there's a way to surprise yourself where you might think you can't connect with a colleague because of the way you've been working together or their attitude, seeming attitude at the office. But maybe if you were in a different context and their guard were down, then you might actually have fun with them. And then that would translate into the office. It it makes me think of an anecdote I heard about uh, Madeline Albright when she was secretary of state here in the States. And she was meeting with a her Russian counterpart, uh, I believe it was Yevgeny Primakov, in the late 90s. And they should have been total adversaries. I mean, he was a former KGB agent. The first time they met, apparently she introduced herself and he said, I already know everything about you. But they had this very playful relationship. And one of the things that brought them closer was that they were at at this conference in Southeast Asia in the late 90s and found out that there was a tradition at this conference for diplomats to put on skits together, which is kind of an odd tradition. Of course, I love it. But she ended up in this room with um, Primakov and the Russian delegation and the Russians are providing the vodka oh, and they end wow. up rewriting the lyrics to the musical West Side Story so that it becomes East West Story. And instead of I just met a girl named Maria, it's I just met a girl named Madeleine Albright. They end up performing this at the conference and Apparently people were, they were like <laughs> diplomats, like pretending to spray paint walls and pretending to be the two gangs in the musical. I mean, it sounds totally absurd and I could see some people being like, that's a waste of taxpayer money. But in reality, Madeleine Albright said that was one thing that brought them closer so that then they were at the negotiation table. They certainly didn't agree on everything, but they saw each other as human beings. There might be someone you think you have no connection with that you couldn't possibly connect with, right? Much like an American diplomat and a Russian, right? But if you can find a common shared experience, you might be surprised. So that's a long-winded of saying, like, give fun a chance and see what it can do to help you connect with people with whom you might think at first glance you don't have a connection with. What if, in my case,
1: the boss is the fun police? You know, they don't think it's professional
3: to have fun. What's your response to that? It, it is tricky. I just spoke to someone who was a school administrator and he was saying he formerly had been in the, under the opinion that schools should not be fun. And then he had a change of heart when he realized that actually school should be fun because that's the best context for learning. Fun is actually essential for our happiness and health and productivity and building a company culture and retaining people. I mean, there are many business arguments for not just allowing but encouraging people to have fun. In the office place. It doesn't need to be in the form of building a pickleball court in your office or all riding around on scooters or trying to recreate Google's campus. Bottom line is it's wrong to think of fun as frivolous. It is not frivolous. And the best way to learn that is to experience a bit of fun in the workplace or just in your general life and notice the difference it makes. And I'd also say it's an enormously beneficial for productivity. I think we have the mistaken notice notion that if we keep our noses to the proverbial grindstone and just keep working and working and working, we'll get more done. But in fact, at some point, your brain gets tired. And to keep trying to do the same kind of work or, you know, as I often do, take a quote break by toggling over from like the document you're working on, just checking your email. It's the same part of your brain that's already tired. So you're just going to get less and less and less efficient. Instead, it's a lot better to take a break by doing something that will produce one of the three elements of fun. You know, is there anything you can do to have a moment of playfulness or connection or flow? I see that as we're speaking, you have a guitar behind you, which intrigues me. But, you know, I have a guitar and I have my drum kit. I'm taking drum lessons and guitar lessons. So I've been trying to take a break by actually practicing music for a minute.
1: How personal is true fun at work, do you think? So what I might find fun might be different to somebody else.
3: Well, there definitely are personal differences in what generates true fun. So you have to read the crowd, right? You're not going to force everybody to do some big build, team-building exercise. We'll just try to try it out. Summer makes everyone hot. <laughs> <laughs> Summer makes everyone hot. <laughs> great, great. I don't know that, who doesn't want to do it. I mean, the example that comes to mind is like improv comedy. I'm sure there, well, I know there are many workplace interventions or team building things that involve elements of improv comedy. And I can tell you that personally, that's my nightmare. I am a huge fan of improv comedy, but oh my God, that would be the antithesis of a fun magnet for me. But I think that the feeling is universal. The feeling of playful connected flow is universal. So the question is just Who do you share? Who do you find that feeling with the most often? Can you spend more time with them? What rituals or activities could you build into your workday that would generate that feeling or one of its three components, either for yourself or with your team? You know, but if, if something's not working, like one thing that will kill fun is if there's someone who's being a total wet blanket. Everyone has to be all in. But I would also on the flip side say, if you're talking about yourself personally having an aversion to doing something, try it. Like just try it. For example, I did a very belated book launch party this past weekend and there was this guy who wrote to me and he's like, well, I'm thinking that for the connection part, maybe I'll do a mirroring exercise from theater because he was a theater professor. And I said, sure. And inside I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, I hate those. I've done that. I hate it. I don't want to do this. Fast forward to Saturday night. I was apprehensive right up to the moment he did it. And it was amazing. It was people got into it. They did it and I did it and it wasn't horrible and I did feel a little bit awkward, but I also had fun doing it. If you feel yourself with this natural resistance towards something, explore what it would be like if you just let go of that. What do you mean by a mirroring exercise? Basic idea is that you put your hands up in front of someone else and you're I guess not necessarily looking in their eyes. You and I are trying this right now, which is going to be interesting over the internet. And one person is supposed to move their hands and the other person mirrors. I'm following you, right. Yes. So the initial stage, there's like a clear leader and a follower. But then what the guy leading it did is he's like, all right, now we're going to try it again. But no one's the leader and no one's the follower. You just have to try to, to do the same thing at the same time without knowing who's leading. And that is extremely uncomfortable for me personally. Oprah often quotes a Leanne
1: Womack song, if you get asked to get up and dance, just dance.
3: Exactly, exactly.
1: So what are the actual benefits of cultivating
3: uh, true fun in our working lives? The two parts I probably would highlight uh, in terms of physical health and mental health are the effects that fun has on our sense of social connectedness and on our sense of isolation. So by now many people know that constantly being under emotional stress is very bad for us physically because of the effects that it has on a hormone in our bodies called cortisol and cortisol is there to help us prepare for responding to physical threats, like running away from something. So it spikes your blood pressure and your heart rate and your blood glucose It's not good if it's elevated over time chronically. And that leads to an increased risk in basically every chronic disease you can think of. So anything you can do to reduce stress is enormously good for your physical health. And fun is a very relaxed and open state. Putting that together, I think it stands to reason that fun is not frivolous at all. It's actually a health intervention. That's Catherine Price,
1: science journalist and author of The Power of Fun. We made this episode on the lands of the Gadigal and Wiradjuri people. This Working Life is produced by Sarah Allerley, who's now focused on having more fun at work. Ping-pong, anyone? I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, love your work. (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.